0: beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ this afternoon we come to the subject of the will of God Jesus taught us to pray this prayer the Lord's Prayer we know it well and one of the petitions is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven the will of God what is the will of God in the last two three weeks we've seen ISIS bombings a horrible bombing in Iraq Racial protests and riots in the U.S., in Dallas, they turned violent. I saw three police officers were shot, maybe today, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We have situations of conflict and unrest in Turkey, another attack in France. On so many social media, people just cried out and said, stop. Just stop. Stop all of this nonsense. Stop all of these attacks. Stop this terrorism. But how? How do you stop these things? You can't make laws against them. There already are laws against them. How do you stop them? We rest in the Lord. We know that only the gospel of Jesus Christ is what changes hearts and lives. We rest in the Lord. And with all the nonsense... Going on today, believe it or not, things aren't that different. Things aren't that different than they were in the days of the psalmists. Psalm 10, verses 12 and 13 says, Arise, O Lord God, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief in vexation, that you may take it into your hands, to you the helpless commits himself. We pray this afternoon, your will be done. And yet we have to ask the questions of the faith. Is it God's will that police officers were killed in Dallas, Texas? Is it God's will that you struggle with illness? You struggle with brokenness? you struggle with addictions some of which maybe nobody even knows about you struggle with sin each one of us does how are we to understand God's will and even as we see a baptism this afternoon we're gonna see a, a child presented before us in baptism and in that we'll ask the question how does baptism connect with the will of God we pray upon this child may the Lord's will be done but what does that mean? What are we actually praying when we pray your will be done? That's what we seek to answer in Lord's Day 49 this afternoon. Our theme is our Lord teaches us to pray the Lord's will. Our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to pray the Lord's will. First we're going to ask, what is it? Second, why we pray for it? And then third, how do we do it? Well, first, what is God's will. When we pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what does that mean? Well, we can speak about God's will in two different ways because Scripture reveals God's will in two different ways. First, the will of God is the commandments of God. If you're here this morning, I read the Ten Commandments and I said, This is God's will for your life. You are covenant people, you are redeemed. And so if you ask the question, Pastor, what is God's will? And I'll say, turn in your Bible to Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy chapter 5, and I'll show you what God's will is. That's the will of God. He's revealed it clearly in His law. In this, the will of God is often called God's pleasure. Namely, that which is pleasing to Him. Psalm 103, verse 20 and 21. Bless the Lord, you as angels, who excel in strength, who do His word, heeding the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. It's pleasing to God to not only give and command and decree his will in this way, but also that people do it and seek to give honor to God in the doing of it. This fact that God's will is his command is even more explicit in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Just think about that first phrase. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So when we talk about the will of God and we pray your will be done, we're talking about that portion of our life that we are in. If you're sitting here as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this afternoon, you're in the process of being sanctified, which means you're not yet holy. You've not yet arrived, at least not in the full sense of holiness. You are in the process of toiling and trusting. Do the will of God. Indeed, if we think of that passage a little bit deeper, 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, your your sanctification. We see that God's will is by definition pleasing to him, since it's his. It comes from him. This is the same way that Jesus uses uses the term God's will later on in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles open, let's look at a couple passages there. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Let me think. You know, the distinction about God's will, that's important for the seminary classroom, but really is this important to us? Yes. You have talked to people and maybe you yourself have said things about God's will which are not true. People talk often about God's will in a way that's not true. And so we need to know what the Bible teaches concerning this. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 21. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, in this sense, there is a way to do the will of God and a way to not do the will of God. One involves obedience, the other involves disobedience. One more passage we'll look at. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews closes with this, this wonderful benediction. Hebrews chapter 13, look at verse 20. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, ...working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. See see the connection between God's will and that which is pleasing. His will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight... ...through Jesus Christ... ...to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The connection between God's will... ...and that which is pleasing to God. It's perfect. It's true. This is also the sense the prophet Micah... ...can say under the inspiration... ...He has shown you, O man, what is good then what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? In this sense, the will of God is for your life. As you present your children for baptism, and as parents, as you have presented your children for baptism, these are the truths, think of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, these are the truths that you are to impress upon the hearts of these your children. The will of God. You may give your children commandments, You have to be home at 10 o'clock. Don't stay out late on school nights. Don't push your brother and sister. Don't use that type of language. Don't wear that. Don't say that. It's your house. It's your rules. Of course you're going to have rules. You must have rules to be a godly parent. But those rules, just like the will of God, just like the prologue to the law, must be connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ. A sermon on the will of God ought not to be able to be preached in a Mormon tabernacle or in a Jewish synagogue. The will of God for the life of the believer in sanctification must be rooted deeply in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, we might as well just pack it up right now and go home. Forget the will of God. Can't do it. Don't know it. Can't understand it. But by the grace of God... By the foundation of the fact that we are unworthy, unholy, unrighteous sinners who are saved by grace. We who are ugly have been made beautiful. We who are unholy have been made holy. We who are orphans are now called children. We who are unlovable are now loved. Therefore, brothers and sisters, let me tell you this afternoon, walk in the will of God. Pray the will of God may be accomplished in you. Love your neighbor. Love your God. Live humbly before the Lord. This is the first way to understand the will of God. It's God's law. Very simply, we all have access to it. The second aspect, the second way to understand God's will is God's will of precept or command. Here we understand that God decreed all things that would come to pass from before the foundations of the world. This involves the election of some, The reprobation of others. It involves each thing that is done to us. The sermon this morning I mentioned from the catechism from the scriptures: not a hair can fall from your head without the will of your Father in heaven. That God clothes the lilies of the field, God gives homes and food to the birds of the air. It isn't just by chance, not by luck, not by happenstance, it's by the providence of God. To put in other words, it's the will of God. He ordained these things that come to pass. Zacharias or Sinus, the primary author of the Catechism, argues that this is in mind as well in the Catechism. In Deuteronomy 29:29, 29, 29, or rather, he says, this is the Deuteronomy 29:29 29, 29 aspect of the will of God. Also, this aspect of the will of God is oftentimes referred to as God's pleasure as well. If you still have your Bible's open, let's look at Isaiah chapter 46. Look at verse 10. The will of God can be synonymous at times with the counsel or the decree of God. Deuteronomy or Isaiah 46 verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I will accomplish... All my purpose, my counsel shall stand. We sang this morning, great is thy faithfulness, there is no shadow of turning with thee. God is, God was, and God is to come. He, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the eternal God. Now flip over to Romans chapter 9. We're almost done flipping around, but... For you to see in God's word what he means by his will helps us understand why we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Romans 9, look at verse 19. Will you say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who could resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Well, what does mold that say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles." Certainly those vessels for dishonor do things which are contrary to God's will of precept, and yet God preserves them in order to show his wrath, in order to make his power known, which he also does the opposite for the vessels of honor, to show mercy to those who he has prepared beforehand for glory. Both of these aspects of the will of God, God's will of command, his revealed will you might say, Some people use that language. His revealed will in the scriptures and his eternal counsel and providence, both of which are in sight in our catechism, which we hope to explain in a moment. Secondly, we see, so that's what the will of God is. Secondly, we see why we pray for it. Why do we pray for the will of God? The first reason that we pray for this it's for the coming of the kingdom. And here we can see, we, we can look at these petitions of the Lord's Prayer, separate. Thy um, kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day your daily bread. We can go through all the petitions. They're separate, but yet they're intimately connected to each other. The first petition is connected to the second, the second's connected to the third, as the kingdom is greater than us, it's greater than the church, and yet one way God shows his growth through the kingdom is a sanctifying work. We pray, thy will be done, because thy will be done is shown in the building of the church and in the building of Jesus Christ, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. How is this done? One way is baptism. One way is by having covenant children. Another way is by evangelism. Discipling of the nations etc. The relationship between these three requests is important. The first, the second, and the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. We're up to the third. You've already studied the last couple weeks, I believe. Uh, The first, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. Zacharias or Sinus once again says in summary that the name of God is not sanctified unless the kingdom come. Nor does the kingdom of God come except by the use of those means by which it is advanced. What are these means? They're not special. They're just ordinary means. Regular means. And they follow us with where God has called us in life. These petitions differ in that we first pray for sanctification in the first petition The second we desire the gathering, the preservation, the government of the church. That God would rule this church by his word and spirit. And now that everyone will do what God calls him to do, willingly and faithfully. That they direct all they do for the glory of God. That we and all men, our catechism says, may deny our own will. without Without any murmuring, obey your will, for it alone is good. We pray thy will be done because we pray for the growth and the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We also pray that God's will be done out of gratitude and love for God. So how does this show itself in our lives out of gratitude and love for God? This is connected with our motivation in life. It gets at this idea that we deny our own will unto the glory of God we deny our own wills, what that's saying, or what that's teaching, is an act of self-denial. It means that we are willing to give up something of our desires, of our wants, of our dreams, of our hopes, which are contrary to the law of God. The world says they may be great. The world may pat you on the back for having these things. But God's word doesn't. It's the self-denial. And the second part of self-denial, as our Lord teaches us, is that we pick up our cross and we follow him. And what this means, congregation, is that we do those things which God calls us to. Now, there are things that God calls all of us to as Christians by the fact that we are Christians. You are called to believe. You are called to repent daily of your sins. You are called to show love, patience, respect, the fruit of the Spirit, etc. But you are also given unique and particular tasks and callings. We must not despise these things, but we must view them and receive them as coming from the Lord. In this, we are forbidden from being complainers. Did you realize that your complaining works contrary to the will of God? That you can't actually honestly confess what Lord's Day 49 confesses and still be a complainer? When you complain, think about this for a moment. Who are you complaining against? Who are you complaining against when you complain? God. In a sense, all complaining is complaining against God. Okay. Listen to these words from Exodus chapter 4. At the burning bush, God calls Moses to go to Pharaoh. And God tells Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses comes up with a whole list, five actually, excuses why he ought not to be doing this job he's not really cut out for the work and then he says this Romans or Exodus 4 verse 10 Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant but I am slow of speech and of tongue he's complaining God I'm not I'm not really cut out of the speaking before Pharaoh type of thing I get scared I'm not eloquent I can't do this, send somebody else please What is God's response? Okay, fair enough. No, no, not at all. That's not what God says. He says in verse 11, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. Complaining. How foolish it is to lose patience when some affliction comes upon us. Or that we've prayed for something that God would remove it. Think of maybe a weakness, a sin, an addiction. And yet once again we fall into it. Or he doesn't remove it from us. Think of the Apostle Paul who prayed three times that the thorn in the flesh would be removed. And it wasn't. Maybe it's the very affliction. Maybe it's the very sickness of your life. Maybe it is a difficulty that God has given to you, that God is using in your life to sanctify you. Maybe to teach you, to chastise you. Maybe to prepare you for something more glorious. And you just can't see that far. You don't know what tomorrow will hold. You don't know where you will be a year from now. But you do confess that God prepares you for where you will be for a year from now, correct? Is this what we confess in Lord's Day 10, the providence of God? Yes. This really is why, when we pray concerning the will of God, we do so with utmost humility. Because we don't know. We have a tendency to think we know quite a few things. We have a tendency to think that we know more about what God is doing than what he's actually doing. But we are so limited by a finite mind. The will of God is still shrouded in a mystery, at least in terms of his decree. We pray this prayer. Thy will be done. We look to him for strength. We pray that the glory of God will be in the forefront. And we live our lives that that truth of God's glory through us will permeate all that we do. Once again, our scientist says, quote, God's will, or rather God wills, that we should desire these things from him, namely blessings, and leave the final issue of things with himself. We in the meantime properly discharge our duties. Now before we move on, there's one question that might come to mind. And the question is, why do we pray for something that will come to pass anyway? You pray God's will be done. Do you think God's will won't be done? What if you don't pray that prayer? You think God's will still will be done? Why should we pray for something that's going to be done anyways? Whether we desire God's will or not, or pray for it, it will always still be done. To understand this, we must remember We do not pray that God's will will be done as if it might not be. Rather, we pray for God's will so that it may be done by us, in us, and through us. And also that all the events that God has ordained may contribute to our salvation, our trust, our hope, and reliance in Him. We pray for God's will to be done because God has ordained all things that come to pass. He's ordained where we will end up. He's ordained where you will be in 5 years. But he's also ordained the means, the way, the road to get there. And that's how we pray the will of God. He not only ordains the ends. He he ordains also the means. So our praying includes our involvement and role in God's will. Our benefit from the events that take place. And with an understanding that prayer is often the means God ordains in the exercise of His rule. We have the privilege to pray for the will of God. And then lastly, we see how we do it. The main point that we take away from this third petition is that we pray that we will do God's will consistently, faithfully, even as the angels in heaven, our catechism says. Even as the angels in heaven. How are we going to be able to do this since we are sinners? First, by the work of the Holy Spirit. What does our catechism say right off the bat? That is, grant. Grant. Not a long word. It's a very important word. It means give. What does it mean when you pray give or grant? It means you don't have. It means you can't get by yourself. Grant this, Lord. We pray for God to help us. Help us. Deny our own will. Grant this to us. Grant also that everyone will carry out the duties, the offices that God calls them to. Without help, we are without hope. As we think about the things the Lord commits to us in Romans 12, we see there from our scripture reading, a list which is followed closely that would show what a life of piety looks like. Love one another, this is verse 10, verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Those aren't easy things. Those are not things that come to us by nature. Oh, patient tribulation, I'm I'm great at that. No, you're not. Nobody's great at patience and tribulation. It's contrary to our very nature. And this is why we pray, grant this, Lord. We don't have this. We can't muster it up. We can't train for this. We need it sovereignly given supernaturally by the Holy Spirit within us. It's called the fruit of the Spirit for a reason. It's not the fruit of man's wisdom. It's not the fruit of good practice, good parenting. It's the fruit of the Spirit of God. He's the one that gives this to us. This is what we pray when we pray the will of God. That we may do it. How? Not in our own strength. But by the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Not the Spirit, we're lost. There has to be something more, congregation, than just try harder. You know what you people need to do? You need to just try a little harder. Stop sinning so much. Make the life of your pastor a whole lot easier. Your elders be a whole lot easier. Just stop sinning so much and just try harder. There has to be something more than that. This is moralism, not try harderism. Grant us the Spirit of the living God. That's how. That's how hearts are changed, that's how marriages are repaired. That's how parents can raise children in the fear of the Lord. Not just try harder, have better rules. Grant us the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. And that's what we pray for. We need the Spirit. And what this means is that you live as the person you are. Not, by the, not the person by nature, but by the person you are by the Spirit. Think of what the baptism form in a few minutes is going to say about what it means when you're baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit. That's not just nice talk. That's spirit power that God gives. Also, to do the will of God, we look to God. We find our strength from God, and we turn from sin. A little while ago, there was a a pastor I knew, I was talking to him, and he told me about an announcement that they were going to read from the pulpit. There's a man in their congregation who had been under church discipline for seven years. I said, was how, how somebody under discipline for seven years? Don't you understand the steps of church discipline? This is supposed to end in something, restoration or excommunication. Well, back and forth. He's taken off, put back on, taken off, put back on. He's a drug addict. He has seven children. Just regular person, drug addict. So what happened? He said, for the first time, he came to the consistory and laid it all out there. The announcement that was read from the pulpit that Sunday involved many tears from many people that have been praying for a long time. But It was a glorious announcement. His brother has come to repentance the congregation rejoiced because by the grace of God he denied his own will and he obeyed God's will for God's will alone is good how can that happen how can that happen he had gone to treatment before by the grace of God but for the grace of God brothers and sisters where would we be today we would be that person. We pray, thy will be done. We do so on our knees. We do so with humility. We do so by asking for the Holy Spirit and saying, God, this must come from you. We can thank the Lord for the blessings of Christian liberty, but liberty might not be a license to sin. Liberty must not be a license to be lazy. And so our call is to live a life of spiritual discipline. What this means is that you take the Christian life seriously. When a couple, when parents present a child for baptism, it's a reminder to all of us, either the fact that you yourself have been baptized or that you yourself also have made that vow to have your children presented for baptism. And the question and the seriousness of it And it's serious because they don't take very many vows. Is that do you realize what you're saying? When you promise to instruct a child in the fear of the Lord, to teach them the ways of God, who has strength for those things? It's not just truths that you convey for an hour a day where you teach, it's your life, it's your family, it's your being. You're always teaching. Your children are always learning. And the question that you must ask yourself, parents, are you taking this seriously enough? Are you young people? You're here Sunday afternoon. Good. You ought to be here. Are you waiting to grow up spiritually? Ah, You're young now. You can... You could run wild for a while. Hopefully, by the time you turn 25, you can come back. Well, we'll take you back. No. You're going to turn 25? You sure you're going to make it that long? You think you're going to end up at home tonight in your bed? Maybe. Maybe not. Who here knows the hours of his life? We pray God's will. These aren't just empty words. It's a life commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray it every day. But do it every day. Commit yourself once again to die to self and to live to Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, and you get down on your knees beside your bed, and you say, God, I did it again. Won't be a surprise to Almighty God. You say, God, I turned from my sin and I turn unto you. And tomorrow morning, wake up and commit yourself the same again. I think, again? Every day? Yes. This is sanctification. This is the Christian life. This is a life of toiling and trusting. Why must you toil? Because you're all sinners. And you're all going to remain sinners until the Lord Jesus Christ comes or until you breathe your last. And we need to teach our children that truth. Because our children are going to stumble. Our children are going to fall into sin. And when they do fall into sin, they're going to ask themselves the question, how can I, who confess Jesus Christ, do such bad things? And without a real understanding of sin and grace, what do they have? Where do they turn? We have callings in our life. Tomorrow, probably many of you will go off to work. Children, you're off school right now, but many will be busy in the home. You realize your highest priority, your highest calling, the most important thing you have to do in your entire life, can be summarized in the fact that you live before the face of God. At the end of the day, you don't have to answer to your elders, you don't have to answer to your minister, you don't have to answer to your wife or husband. First of all, it's to God that you stand, or it's before God that you stand from God receive the blessings of his grace grant Lord grant these things grant us that grace grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without any murmuring get rid of the complaining whatever your plot in life is whatever you're married to or whatever your children say or do whatever job you have without any murmuring obey your will for it alone is good Those aren't just empty words, brothers and sisters. We're in the third part of the catechism here, dealing with thankfulness, thankful living. This is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you think about this petition again in light of baptism, what does it mean? When you answer the baptismal questions, parents, this starts with you. The calling is given to you. You cannot teach unless you've first been taught. So parents, sit at the feet of the Savior and learn daily from Him in His Word. That's where you find the way to go. That's where you have your instruction. It's in God's Word. I'm assuming you all have Bibles in your homes. I hope they're not collecting dust because you can't parent without it. You can't husband or wife without it. And he can't be a Christian laborer without it. You cannot know the will of God unless he reveals it to you by giving eyes to see it in his word. It's there. Seek the will of God. May God grant us repentance, grace, wisdom, and the Holy Spirit so that we may deny our own will and obey God's will alone, for his will alone is good. Do this, brothers and sisters, to the glory of God. Amen. To receive the sign and seal of the covenant. Doing so, we turn to the form that's on page 597 in the back of your book, or in your book of praise. Page 597. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the doctrine of Holy Baptism is summarized as follows. First, we and our children are conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath, so that we cannot enter into the kingdom of God unless we are born again. This is what the immersion in or sprinkling with water teaches us. It signifies the impurity of our souls, so that we may detest ourselves, humble ourselves before God, and seek our cleansing and salvation outside of ourselves. Second, baptism signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. We are therefore baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father testifies and seals to us that he establishes an eternal covenant of grace with us. He adopts us for his children and heirs and promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. When we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises, to, uh, promises us that he washes us in his blood from all our sins and unites us with him in his death and resurrection. Thus we are freed from our sins and accounted righteous before God. When we are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit assures us by this sacrament that he will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ, imparting to us that which we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from our sins, the daily renewal of our lives, that we shall finally be presented, without blemish, among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Third, since every covenant contains two parts, a promise and an obligation, we are, through baptism, called and obliged by the Lord to a new obedience. We are to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust Him and to love Him with all our heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. We must not love the world, but put off our old nature and lead a God-fearing life. And if we sometimes through weakness fall into sins, we must not therefore despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin. For baptism is a seal and trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God. Although our children do not understand, these, understand all this, we may not therefore exclude them from baptism. Just as they share without their knowledge in the condemnation of Adam... So were they, without their knowledge, received into grace in Christ. For the Lord spoke to Abraham, the father of all believers, and thus, speaks, thus also speaks to us and our children, saying, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Genesis seventeen seven. Peter also testifies to this when he says, For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Acts 2, verse 39. Therefore, in the old dispensation, God commanded that infants be circumcised. This circumcision was a seal of the covenant and of the righteousness of faith. Christ also took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. In the new dispensation, baptism is replaced circumcision. Therefore, infants must be baptized As heirs of the kingdom of God and of his covenant. And as they grow up, the parents have the duty to instruct them in these things. In order that we may now administer this holy sacrament of God for his glory, for our comfort, and to the upbuilding of the congregation, let us call upon his holy name. Let us pray. Almighty, eternal God, In your righteous judgment, you punished the unbelieving and unrepentant world with the flood. But in your great mercy, saved and protected the believer Noah and his family. You drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea, but led your people Israel through the midst of the sea and dry ground, by which baptism was signified. We therefore pray that you, in your infinite mercy, will graciously look upon this, your child, and incorporate her by your Holy Spirit, Into your Son, Jesus Christ, so that she may be buried with him by baptism into death and raised with him to walk in newness of life. We pray that she, following him day by day, may joyfully bear her cross and cleave to him in true faith from hope and ardent love. Grant that she, comforted in you, may leave this life, which is no more than a constant death, and the last day may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ, your Son. All this we ask through him, our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Robin Ashley, please rise. Beloved in Christ the Lord, You have heard that baptism is an ordinance of our Lord our God to seal to us and our children his covenant. We must therefore use this sacrament for that purpose and not out of custom or superstition. That it may be clear then that you desire baptism for the right purpose, you are to answer sincerely the following questions. First, do you confess that our children, though conceived and born in sin, and therefore subject to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation, are sanctified in Christ, and thus as members of his church, ought to be baptized. Second, do you confess that the doctrine of the Old and the New Testament, summarizing the confessions and taught here in this Christian church, is the true and complete doctrine of salvation? Third, do you promise as father and mother to instruct your child in this doctrine as soon as she is able to understand and to have her instructed therein to the utmost of your your power? Brother Whiskey, what is your answer? Sister Whiskey, what is your answer? You may come forward. we K. Whiskey. I baptize you into the name of God the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord's richest blessings to you both as you now raise your children in the fear of the Lord. Here's a baptism certificate to remember this day. May the Lord richly bless you and grant you his strength. Congregation, let us thank the Lord for the picture of God's salvation, which we have just seen. Let us do so by singing. We're going to sing Psalm 105, verse 3.